Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hey, welcome to episode two of Joke Artist. Here Ooh. we are. It's uh, Jason Katz and Ryan Dever. That's my voicemail. That's how it sounds oh. when you call me. Hi, that's you've it. reached Ryan Deber. Yeah. The voicemail box of Ryan Deber is completely empty because he has 0.0 friends. <laughs> if you'd <laughs> like to make a donation to his friend account, you may not because it doesn't exist. <laughs> also, I am his only friend. He calls me phone butt <laughs> because I am stored in his butt. Please send help. Thank you, phone butt, for divulging that information that was supposed to be private. Anyway, we have a, uh, a guest today, and it's not phone butt. It is comedian Sam Morrill, who mm. is absolutely outstanding, and he has a new special that's out now on YouTube called I Got This. Yeah, you got to watch it on YouTube. It's it's I, Right now, who knows? It could be up to 3 million views already. I haven't checked yeah, last Recently, we checked, it was but, it was almost at three. Yeah, and you got to direct this special, didn't you, old Jay? Well, yes, I did. I did, my good man. I did direct it. Oh. You see, the thing is, I said, Sam, let me direct your special, and he said, Who are you? And I said, Shh. Oh, uh, yeah, no, I got to direct this special, and it was great, and uh, very grateful for that. And myself, and you, and Steve Nahorniak, and Cameron Bossart. Uh, or Bossert. All, what's that? <laughs> yeah, I can't say Cam's last name, Cam. So if you you know you hear this, that's, we're in the process know. of getting Cam to change his last name, so we yeah. we know how to say it. Well, I'm getting in the process to drop the last name because yeah. I can always say Cam. Uh, so I <laughs> <laughs> appreciate it, Cam, if you would drop the last name. Uh, but yeah, no, we got to direct it, and it was it was amazing. And when Sam asked us. Uh, you know, to be a part of it, we were like, hell yeah. And the wild part was getting all of the gear, getting all the equipment and, you know, super expensive lenses and, and really expensive cameras and all the gear that we needed and, you know, doing it on a budget and um, doing it within a, a very short amount of time. I mean, we were down to the wire. We were literally with the rental company, uh, the day before saying it couldn't, is this stuff approved? Like we would go back and forth with the rental company and we had to write numerous letters to the rental company, even though, you know, both of us have a lot of production behind us. They still wanted proof on why they should allow us to rent all this equipment for this expensive cost. It had been several weeks of, of, you know, working with the rental company to get all the equipment, all the cameras, all the lenses, all the tripods and, and, and all that. And they would say, yep, you're good to go. And then they would come back. Someone, some other person that we didn't work with would then come to us and say, actually, who's this? Um, no, no, you didn't fill out the right form. You got to fill out this form. And then we'd go, okay. And then we do that. And they say, oh, that's fine. And then a third person would be like, wait, wait, whoa, wait a minute. You got to send us some proof that uh, yeah. you can even yeah. do this. And we're like, what? We just worked with two other people and, and oh, no, no, it doesn't matter. You got to send us uh, your list of fears and uh, your favorite food and, and we your have to take Britney you out on Spears a date. Song? <laughs> Britney Spears song? Yeah, they, they, that was one of the requests. We had to sing one. Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah. You had to get dressed up. Right. Well, I didn't have to. <laughs> <laughs> it was, but it was, it was funny how stressful it was because it was kind of like, a movie yeah. where you're like, yeah, let's do it. What's the worst that could happen? And I was like, ah, it's tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. And, and everything, you know, all the gear was down to the wire. And even when we went to the rental house to pick up the gear, I still think that there was some sort of issue. And I can't remember, but I think there was still issues. And we're like, oh, my God. I think <clears> it was know, with the cards, you know, the memory cards, wasn't it? The, yeah, there something, was something like weird. And we needed to, remember, test all the gear out you know, yeah. days before, obviously, too. But, yeah, no, it was a lot of fun, and we had some uh, really good people behind it, and, you know, that the uh, you know people doing that art direction and everything like that, and Liz from The Cellar uh, was great, and, um, yeah, yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun. And, um, you know, I'm glad we were able to do it, and we also had a really fun conversation with Sam about his special, again, which you can 
find on YouTube right now and more stuff that he's going on in, uh, in his life in quarantine. And yeah, if, if you're not familiar with Sam, definitely look him up. He's been on every late night talk show. He's worked with Amy Schumer, David Tell. He's hosted his own MSG network show called People Talking Sports. Um, and more recently, he played himself in the movie Joker, which was awesome. And we got to talk to him all about it in uh, this uh, episode's episode. So here's that episode. I'm having an episode. Oh, no. Can you wait till after the episode's over? Sure. All right, episode two of Joke Artists with comedian Sam Morrill. Sam, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Yeah, thanks for doing it. And right out of the well, gate. That's it. Yeah, that's it. Thank you so much, and uh, that's it. Have a great week. Take care. Take care. God bless. All right, bye. Bye. See you guys. Uh, so <laughs> right out of the gate, just want to congratulate you. Your latest special, I Got This, has just shy of 3 million views on YouTube. Yeah, isn't that crazy, man? Uh Damn, yeah, uh, and you guys were a, a big part of it, so thank you. Oh, it was awesome being a part of it. It was so cool to kind of help uh, create it, and, and now to see it grow, it's just, it's wild. And we were yeah. talking with Mark last week about kind of this shift that comedians are making to kind of put out their own content and then see what happens after the fact. Have you? Is that kind of, does that ring true to you? Yeah, you know, it's funny, Mark and I put this out kind of to to increase our draw on the road. And I think I got like two weekends and then COVID hit. So that's that. Uh, but you know, maybe, you know, you get new fans for when we do come back and you think, well, maybe people will regret not buying it. Probably not, but that's what you hope. And, uh, and you see how many people hopefully enjoyed this and then maybe uh, a, a platform will pay a lot of money for the next one. I think that's the hope is to bet on yourself and hope it, uh, hope it works. So that's kind of, it's like the it's like the same thing with with bands then they put out an album and they don't really make money off the album they make money on the road and kind of the tour that follows and you were I mean a lot of comedians were robbed of that because of covid. Yeah, I mean that's how we've made our living for years and uh it's a bummer because I got a I got a little taste, you know, I I did just for last in Vancouver and it was just like fans and it was people who had seen the special and I did uh, Royal Oak, Michigan, and that was like more of a mix, but uh, it, it sucks when you get a little taste and then it's just gone and, you know, but I, I think the thing is I was touring with new stuff, so I was really hopeful that I would film another special by the end of the year, and I think now that's that's not going to happen, obviously, because you need those reps. I'm, I'm talking to my uncle, who's like, just just do virtual shows, and it's like, it's like not the same. Yeah. People don't get that it's not the same. It's like, it is like a virtual show is like, it's like a sex robot. It's not, it's not sex. <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's a sex robot. So you're like, well, it's, I guess it's if I have to, but it's not, it's not what I want to do. There's also a lot of shame involved. Right. But you still may be able to do another special, you know, by the end of this year, you may be able to do one again on your own, just like you did you know, if it's if you know if it can make you money, it's kind of like why not do that then? Because you could just sort of release them how you want, and then you have the final cut, and you can do it any way you want. I just don't think it's realistic that I'll have the the opportunity to hone it because I think you really need those right. reps, and uh, it, it's hard right. to get it's hard to get the reps when you know there's bigger shit than comedy right now. Yeah, I mean, that, that kind of goes into a question we were thinking, actually. Like, when do you know that you're ready to have a special? When do you feel that you've honed enough that you're ready to actually put this out, you know, and film it? I think whenever you think you're ready, you got to give yourself a few more months, you know? Because whenever I'm like, I'm ready, then I'm like, well, three more months ain't going to hurt. Like, I was going to tape this one that with you guys, when we talked about it, the, the original goal was September, remember? And yeah. then we push it back to December and you get all these new lines and tags cause you have to keep running it. You really, I think unfortunately have to wait till you're pretty sick of the material, which is getting, it's becoming less and less time for me. I get, I get sick of material much more quickly than ever in my life. So do you think it's then really when, once you're excited about the material, you think you're ready, that's when you pump the brakes and start working on it even more. And then so yeah. you're saying once you get sick of it, it's good because you're not adding those lines anymore. You're just like, let's get it out there. Well, yeah, you kind of want, 
you want it to get to a point where you like you hate saying the joke. Really? You, wow. you want it to get to a point where yeah, where you where you get off stage and you're like, well, you kill and you don't give a shit that you killed because you're like, well, who fucking cares? I've done those jokes <laughs> so much that oh, they mean man. nothing to me. You know, that's that's what I think, and I think you got to run it through red state, blue state, red state, blue state. I mean, the goal is that it works everywhere, right? Yeah. You know, I would think that even like a political comedian would want it to work, you know, if you're a liberal comic in, in red states and then vice versa. So once you finish a special, it, there's no, like, you've never had an aha moment after it's been filmed where you're like, damn it, that was the punchline I should have used. It just came to me now, but it's already done. Or do you kind of like, you know what, forget it. It's done. Of course. Of course you do. Always. Yeah. Of course you always think of something that could have been slightly funnier. You always do. But I mean, I think also you have that. Okay. So your first special usually is the longest it takes to film. Right. So I think a lot of comics will wait sometimes like eight to 10 years for their first special, mm -hmm. maybe more sometimes. Right. So, so then you're touring after that one usually, and you're still telling some of those jokes. Right. So maybe you still tell some of those jokes and you say, ah, shit, I just had a funny line. You know, sometimes I'll still do one of those like tags on like a late night show. So it still lives somewhere. Mm -hmm. Right. Because I'm bummed. I think of a good line and then no one ever hears it. But uh, yeah, I think you usually kind of run it into the ground to the point that that doesn't happen. But it, it, it will inevitably will happen. Do you have something right now in your head from that special from I got this? that you wish you had changed the punchline like you know where you're like oh i want to say i wish i said this if you did have something like that um, you know we could always play it back to back if there was something you were like oh man i wish i i said it this way it'd be kind of interesting huh. i think for like the fans to hear the alternate uh punchline or the alternate ending or or the alternate part you would have added in or you considered I'm not quite sure. Cause some, of, some of those jokes are so old. Like that White Knight story in that, which I closed on is such an yeah. old story. I mean, that must have happened close to 10 years ago. And I just kept thinking about it. And the ending, I could never come up with a good ending. And Mark Norman, who I guess was your first guest, would always tease me. He'd say, That's, it, the White Knight is your white whale. He said, you can't crack it. <laughs> and he would always just fuck with me about it. And, and it ended up being a callback. So I think you just have to keep telling jokes and keep trying that's kind of the hard part of, of sitting this out is so much of this is trial and error that when you don't get to fail you really don't get to succeed at as high a level right so continuing writing and writing another joke could be the answer to solving a previous joke that you're stumped on then yeah i i mean it, i can't think of one off i got this that it's hard for me to crack that. Well, uh, just in the sense one, that new the, one. the 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 uh, special ends basically kind of calling back to the White Knight. So it, it really just if you thought there was maybe not yeah. a strong punch to that initial joke or that story that you tell, the ending surely just like everyone in the place went nuts when they heard that. And I think everybody loves that kind of just interweaving of of jokes throughout a special. But to end on it, it really kind of had. Yeah. It, it comes back to Naples in the white yes. night story. It comes back to shit, to shitting on Naples. And it kind of comes back to like just being on the road and, and like, you know, you kind of learn to love even the shittiest parts of the road. Cause it's just such a necessary evil in creating comedy and creating jokes. So like, I, I thought it made sense to come back to, to Naples, which was a oh, yeah. bell gig. For sure. I mean, it was like the ending of a film when you come back and like, oh, you know, and like, oh, that was the guy that did it, or you know, or just some sort of callback. Don't you love when? Don't you love when movies do that, man? When they like, yeah, I was just absolutely. we were just watching In Bruges the other night, and uh, oh, so good. I don't know if you've ever seen that movie In Bruges. Yeah, Great. but it comes back. There's so many. There's so many satisfying little callbacks right. in that movie, and. and you know, I mean, there's for one, I don't want to, spoiler, but for one thing, you know, it opens with Brendan Gleeson, the actor on top of this tower, like pointing a gun, like with his finger. And then it comes back to that tower later. And there's another, there's a character who's a little person and that comes back. I mean, there's so many like, and I love, some people think it's cheap when comics do a callback, but I think when it, when it's not forced, 
it's pretty damn fun, you know? Yeah, and it rewards you for listening, you know, like, because jokes are fun and movies are fun, but it just encourages you to get involved with the story or or the joke. So when it's, I don't yeah. know, you know, like, you, it's like these little Easter eggs. It's like, oh, cool, I've been paying attention the whole time, and that, that feels, it feels yeah. more personal. Yeah, for sure. But when you're doing a joke like that, or or even, like, I don't know, any joke in general, then, when you're doing a joke... How do you know when it's even time to hit the stage with it? And like, what do you do? So like, like, what's the process of you writing a joke? You write it, and then do you do you, you know, text your friends about it, or do you say it out loud, you know, to your girlfriend? Or how do you start, and then how do you start, and then get to the stage with it? You know, uh, it it all depends. When I was getting on stage four times a night, I wouldn't really feel the need to text anybody. You know, I would just kind of talk on stage. I I think this is funny. But, you know, sometimes you think of something and you're like, well, that one came to me too easily. Some of these jokes just pop in your head like a gift. And you think, well, that came to me so easily. I want to make sure that one wasn't done by someone else. So I'll text someone like Mark or I'll text another friend or, you know, who I think has like a pretty encyclopedic knowledge of, of what's out there. Cause Mark is always listening to comedy and, um, or anyone, you know, and then, uh, yeah. So that's one way. Another way is you just, I mean, for me, I, I will read the paper a lot just in a way to jumpstart my mind. And just, I think just reading words will, kind of wake you up a little bit sometimes. So I'll write headline jokes and on current events and stuff like that. And then maybe that'll make me think about myself. I'll, I'll listen to old sets and that'll jumpstart me. Now it's depressing as hell for me to listen to old sets, but that's what I used to do. And I would just, I would just fast forward to the new stuff that I was excited about. I would just know where I said the new stuff and I would go there. And then sometimes you think of a, of a follow-up line to a newer joke and then that follow-up line leads to a whole new angle and and lengthens the bit so sometimes people will think we wrote these big chunks all at once but really they can sometimes be one line at a time really and then so so sometimes you're saying that you may think of a joke you know intact or or you know one line at a time and you'll bring it to the stage without even telling somebody about it you'll just bring it on stage and you know hope that people laugh yeah. I mean, that's what it is, right? I mean, you gotta, wow. you gotta try it. That's why, that's why I missed the road is because a lot of people don't know that in, when I'm in New York, we're doing 15 minute sets and when I'm on the road, I'm doing an hour. So on an hour I can, I feel like I, I deserve to try more new stuff. And also just like, I would go completely insane if I did the same one hour, every show on the road. Right. So <laughs> yeah, what I'll yeah, do usually sure. is, I'll do, I'll do like a 45 or so that works and then like 15 of newish and I, and I'll play with the new stuff and see what comes out. And when you get loose, sometimes like you just start trusting. I remember like, I'm a big basketball fan. So Walt Frazier, you know, the Knicks, uh, the Knicks legend and he does the play by play and stuff. So he'll, when he's calling the game, he'll sometimes say a player is aiming their shot. And that means that they're, you know, that they're not trusting their body. They're like aiming it. And like when you do jump shots all day, it's, it's muscle memory. It's, it's repetition, right? So you just got to trust your body. And I feel that it's the same way with comedy. Sometimes, sometimes you too, I, I can be too ridden and I try to get away from that. So long sets get me away from that. And I'm just riffing and riffing is where a lot of the jokes become more you and more conversational. And, and I think we'll hit even harder because they don't feel like jokes. It feels like you're talking to them. And then what happens? Like, will you record all the sets so then you can, if you like found some sort of gold on stage, you'll go back, listen to it, and then perfect it later on or bring it to another audience? Because if something happened and something bounced off of like, you know, just having a conversation with um, an audience member and you were like, oh man, that's so good. I want to put that out there. I want to, you know, do it at the next show and the next show. How do you go about doing that? Do you, do you listen to yourself back or, or you just remember it? No, I think you got to listen to it. It's painful to listen to yourself that much, but you got to, you just got to do it. Oh, so is that what, is that what you do? Yeah. I'll listen to I've audio recorded on my phone and I'll try to video record it usually too, but I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll usually wake up on the road and I'll walk to find somewhere to get coffee or breakfast and, uh, Wow. And I'll be listening to the set. And, and I kind of like love that part of the road. It's like you feel like a fucking cowboy or something. You're like, what am I doing in this town? You know, it's, it's yeah. kind of fun. And, you're, and you're, you grab your coffee and you're listening to your notes and you're kind of figuring out what you'll do that night. And 
I always like to like have some local stuff like I'll, I'll discover and talk to the crowd about and uh, it makes it a little more like the show a little more unique and personal. Yeah. Uh, you ever play it back for yourself? You know, you're drinking your coffee, you're in a diner in the middle of, you know, Texas, you're playing it back for yourself in your headphones and you go, ah, this guy's funny. And you kind of forget that it's you. <laughs> sometimes. Yeah. I mean, cause I'll, I'll just, sometimes when I forget how to write jokes, I'll listen to a comic who's not like me, you know, because if you listen to someone who's not like you, you're like, Oh yeah, that's how sometimes you just like forget how to write a joke. So sometimes I'll like <laughs> right. put on like, like Tom Papa or someone who's so not like Tom's like very clean and is a lot of family material. So I like listen to people who aren't like me. Uh, Cause oh, right. then you're like, Oh yeah, that's how jokes work. So yeah. So when you just li- walk around and listen, you're like, Oh yeah, that was good. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm, I'm a little easier on myself after I just like, you know, I just taped the thing in December. So when I was just touring and doing, you know, the, the last week I worked before COVID really destroyed my road schedule was mm. in early March in Royal Oak, Michigan. And I was doing, I just watched it said it was all new. So, uh, it was a new hour and is, are all the jokes great? Absolutely not. But I'm also, you know, I'm grading myself on a curve. I think usually right after you, at least for me, when I, when I record something, this is, I guess my third time doing recording an extended set. So it's my fourth hour uh, as a comic. And, uh, I'll start with like, I'll ha- come out of the gate with like a lot of shit because I have a lot of ideas and I'll find ways to make them work. And I'll start with like, maybe I'll get to a point where I have like 50 new minutes or so that I'm touring with close to an hour. And then I'm like, all right, I got this. And then I stay at like 50 for like months because I keep cutting stuff and then adding it. So it's like, you think you have 50, but really you don't, you're feeling 50, but you don't have a good 50. Yeah. Have you ever, um, uh, had an issue sorting that? Like, if you have that 50 minutes, like, sorting, okay, how do I switch from this set of jokes to this set of jokes? Yeah, absolutely. And and you keep, like, I mean, that's, I was actually, you know, I was supposed to be in Phoenix this weekend, so I was, I was relearning jokes, which is so fucking painful. Relearning my own act, like I'm prepping for a play. It's <laughs> right. so embarrassing. And, and, uh, yeah, I was re-listening the jokes, and I was reordering them. I was changing the order because I was like, this wow. joke should actually probably be here because it'll, it'll feel, yeah. So I have, I have jokes about like race and I have jokes about freedom of speech now. And I have jokes about like, I had a joke about cyberbullying. And then I, I, did jo- I have all these jokes about like, um, I was like, well, all these freedom of speech jokes should probably go into these racial jokes because I have one racial joke that is about freedom of speech. And then it just kind of bridges everything together and I think makes a bigger point and makes it all more, compelling when it when because you know because i think there's like an element of of danger when you go into uh when you intelligently pursue a, a racial joke about freedom of speech because you are as a white guy walking a tightrope mm-hmm. with that where you're trying to keep people interested but also not trying to cheaply offend you're trying to earn the laugh in a way that's not uh that's not cheap do you ever have a chunk of jokes that you maybe thought you could include in a 50 minute block? And as you're kind of reordering, you go, you know what? These jokes are great, but they just don't fit with this kind of overall theme of this special. Maybe I'll hold on to these jokes for an, another, you know, after I'm done with this special, when I, I'll take them on the road and maybe build 50 off these five minutes. Has that ever happened to you? Yeah, absolutely. Of course. Yeah. You, sometimes you've got to shelf a joke because you're just like, well, this doesn't really... Usually I can find a way to work it in because I, I care more about funny than I do about making any points or themes. And I think there's always a way to to write in a joke that you think works. But yeah, I've definitely... I had a joke about um, how people will use... Like I have a joke now about how like the two people fighting the hardest for freedom of speech are comedians and racists. You know, and that's a bummer, you know, like as, as a Jew, I see like the, I see people I'm like, oh, I guess I stand with the Aryan nation on this one. You know what I mean? <laughs> so so that it's a confusing thought where you're like, fuck, like, well, I don't want to be on this. So I have this whole chunk on freedom of speech. And that was like originally in my last hour. And, and I'm so glad I didn't burn it because it turned into like it turned into like a five minute bit now in this new hour. And it, it's only going to keep growing. That's awesome. And with. So, yeah, COVID ruined everything. You talk about reading the paper, reading your old jokes, listening to other comics for inspiration as well. 
do you find that your writing is in, is kind of you're taking a setback to not being able to go to the coffee shop to be to listen to people to see and hear people's interactions and go oh that's like I'd never be able to make that up the thing that that person just said is ridiculous I got to include that do you find it's it's like you've had to um, kind of strengthen another part of your mind to create these jokes without taking material from everyday life. That's a great point. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Because I'm not a novelist. I'm not a guy who goes to a cabin in the woods to create a story. You know what I mean? Like, it's all usually based on some some level of truth, whether it happened to me or whether it's something that inspired a truth. Right. So, yeah, it's 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 tough. I, I It feels like a part of my brain has been shut down. And uh, I, I would even go so far as to take diff- walk different ways home. When I live, I'm in Los Angeles right now, but when I'd be in New York, I would walk because I figure like maybe a different way will be better for my brain. Like maybe it will open up a different pathway or a different thought. So I I really do take that seriously. And uh, yeah, not being able, not having any new experiences is, is not, is not good for creativity. Just staying in the same place. I feel like is the enemy of, of, uh, creating. So it's, it's been really hard. For yeah. Sure. I, oh, yeah. I would come up, I'd come up with so many jokes in the subway or so many jokes at the airport because you're in motion and, and you're experiencing new things and your mind is alert. And I, I feel like it's taken much more work to, uh, to, to get to that place. So you're writing new material. Do you ever, are you looking at it and going, this, these are too many jokes about being inside. These are too many jokes about things that happen indoors. I need stuff that's happening outside. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, that's definitely it. And, uh, I'll try to, I mean, there's limited opportunity outside right now. I mean, you're trying to be a decent neighbor. So right. if I go out, I'll, I'll wear a mask, you know, but I'll, yeah, I, I it's funny, like when this first hit, I'm like, well, I got some jokes about going to the grocery store in COVID. I got some jokes about, uh, you know, just thoughts about COVID. But then COVID jokes start to feel boring to me in the yeah. same way that Trump jokes felt boring to me a while back, you know. So it gets to a point where you got to really find a good angle because everyone's making COVID jokes. Everyone's got this shared experience, which is good and also not good, mm-hmm. you know, because I, I've talked about this a lot. But, you know, with Trump jokes. Look, people ask me why I don't make more Trump jokes, and it's because it's not because I don't think he's ridiculous. But there's late night TV shows where you got like Fallon and Corden and and Colbert and and all these, you know, Conan, and so you have all these kind of white guys who are all left leaning. Uh, Seth Meyers, right? They're all white left leaning comedians who are all doing headline jokes every night. So everyone's stepping on each other's toes and it yeah. becomes like an echo chamber to me. And that just becomes kind of boring. So I'm only going to do a Trump joke. If it's an angle I have not heard or, or you know what I mean? So, and that becomes hard. And, and I think I'm facing a similar challenge with COVID. So uh, yeah, it, it has been a struggle to write uh, new topical jokes. And also because like, these are cha- all challenging things to make funny right now, because I think people need distance uh, from certain from certain uh, social, at least like social commentary to, for it to be funny. And with a lot of the Black Lives Matter stuff, as a white comic, there's there's it is very hard. I mean, I think we've seen white comics struggle to do racial satire because it is a very hard line to walk yeah. as a white comic, right? So. Uh, you know, I, I think a lot of these current events are are very real and emotional stories, and emotional stories are hard to make uh, funny, and yeah. uh, especially when it affects so many people. And a lot of people, I think, don't want to laugh at it right now, so that presents another challenge. But the comic in me is like, let's fucking go. I think I can do it. So I am working on some stuff. I, I totally agree with you on the aspect of you know taking different pathways when you walk and everything like that. Because Ryan and myself, like we write sketch comedy and i remember watching like steve martin's master class and he and he i think he opened it up i can't remember but he the first thing he said was just listen he was like just listen he's like you know when you're taking when you're in the elevator when you're eating lunch when you're doing this just listen and you'll find the funny if it's there and and that's sort of the same way that i would always go about it 
you know, on the subway, um, at work, you know, just, just listening to people. And then you're like, oh man, this could be funny if you do you twist it this way, you do this. And it's, it's gotta yeah. be very weird. Like you're saying, and very tough not to be able to do that simple fact of listening to people because you can't really be around everybody to a certain extent. <laughs> right. That's a great point. Yeah. So it's like your one thing that you need, you, you know, but I think I think people though right now are ready to laugh. You know, some people are and some people aren't. I think that people definitely need some sort of escape. Um, but yeah, I mean, no no one wants to hear like seventy you know mask COVID jokes. Obviously, so it's like it's it's definitely got to right. be like a tougher time writing something and coming up with new material that's also like relatable because a lot of your stuff. Right. And correct me if I'm wrong. A lot of your stuff is like you know, like relatable. Like you can find yourself in a lot of it. Like you know, the audience can find themselves. Is my take on it. Yeah, that's kind of the goal, right? Is that you? You kind of you kind of you get that like unifying laugh where people are like, I love a good relatable joke. I love an observational joke that that right. connects with people. So yeah, it it is a challenge and. It's funny you say that, man, because so often I'll get a message from a young comic where they're just like asking advice, but then they're just really talking at you. And I'm like, I don't think they want my advice. I think they just want to talk. <laughs> to have you a know? story. <laughs> and it's, it's a, yeah, well, they'll, they'll just be like, how do I do this? I'm like, oh, maybe you do that. And they're like, well, I've, I've experienced that. I'm like, all right, never mind. You know, yeah. so uh, yeah. I, I do think like, I think, yeah, listening is always important. It's always important to listen and, uh, yeah, but then also as a comic, you got to train yourself to just kind of talk sometimes when you're, I can't tell you how many like morning radio things I've been half asleep that I have to carry because like, you know, the the, the morning DJ didn't feel like showing up that day. So you also got to train yourself to talk and you, you got to train yourself to, to keep going on stage. So, we, we, you know. <laughs> we talked about that a little bit with Mark yeah. in uh, last <laughs> yeah. the last episode and we were talking about how we thought it was so funny that there's kind of this unwritten rule that every comic that goes on a morning show, whether on TV or the radio, makes it a point to just make the host as uncomfortable as possible just by saying random, inappropriate stuff and yeah. and uh, kind of making light of the whole situation. And it's always hilarious to see this, you know, buttoned up host trying to act professional and also trying to be funny to you, which is it never works out, you know, to the comic. Yeah. And then you like, there's one of you, I think, where you say they're like, "What well, you know, uh, Sam, tell us, like, what, why, why are you so funny? How do you, how do you get to be funny?" And you're like, "Ah, well, I was molested as a child," and they're they're just like, <laughs> "Yeah, I, I told the host I was molested by an uncle, and it gave me Spider-Man like superpowers and right. made me funny." And I and and this was in Pittsburgh, and they uh, they never booked a comic again after me. So if you so if you're playing Pittsburgh and you're a comic. You're welcome. Here's why. Here's the thing. Here's why we do it. It's because we've done so many and because it's just always the cheesiest show. And we're not moving tickets on these shows anyway. And we know it. And the club kind of knows it. But the, a lot of these clubs are really lazy and they they just like book stuff because they're like, well, we did our part. Now right. you get up at 6 a.m. even though you did a show the night before and got three hours sleep. So. Like it's not a, it, it, instead of taking out ads and promote, it's not like a, a way that I believe is proven in selling tickets. It's not a market <laughs> of people that are going to like my comedy. It's like a cheesy morning show. They're not, this is not our fan base. These are like for soccer moms and stuff, you know? So, yeah. so we're always annoyed to be doing it. So we feel like the only way it's going to move tickets is if we make a stunt. <laughs> and that's why mm. Mark and I do that. And a lot of comics do that. And also because it entertains us and it makes it makes the crew usually laugh their ass off. I mean, the, the host oh, yeah. also, it's, it's just, we hate doing it. And, uh, I do feel a little bad when I do it sometimes because they, <laughs> oh my gosh. I get, I, I've definitely done some where I can tell they're <laughs> guarded and just waiting for me to turn on them. And I'm like, all right, like, let's, let's leave this. One. So you, you gotta also, I also don't want to get them in trouble, but also we don't want to be there. And they, I, yeah, I, I, we've done so many interviews where they just ask the exact same questions to the point that I'm like, you didn't even do one. Like, I used to have a show and I would research my guests. They they don't do one line of research. They're just like, so you're a comedian. I'm like, 
that's what you want me to go with? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, have you, have you ever heard those somebody say that? Like, have you ever heard a fan say, Hey, I saw you on like the morning dunk and uh, I came to see your show. You know, have you ever, have, has a fan no, ever come up to you and say no, like but, a local fan? No, I, we used to make it a point. We don't do that to point. Like anyone see me on local TV and no one would clap. And I'd kind of turn to the back of the club and be like, see, so, uh, yeah, we, we, uh, that one actually in Pittsburgh moved tickets because it got shared on social media by a lot of people and people were like, holy shit, this is in our town. We should get tickets to this guy. And I actually played the clip on, on stage that really? night wow. and it, it got, yeah. And it got a huge laugh. I kind of, I kind of broke down how it happened and it, and it, <laughs> It got a pretty big laugh. What happens to that host, though? Is the host like after the interview is over? Is the host yeah, are like they furious? Um, yeah. Thanks, I think dude. I think I just I, you know what I did was I kept it pretty straight. Yeah. So I didn't I didn't like afterwards I didn't be like gotcha I kind of was like oh great interview thanks for having me you know and uh, <laughs> and and I went to, I went to the producer and I was like hey can I get a copy of that footage and they were like fuck off no way so <laughs> wow. then. Uh, they knew. So then, uh, so I tweeted, anyone happened to record Pittsburgh today live? And, and oh, someone said I did. And, and they <laughs> sent it to me. So I got, I, I got a couple tweets right after that were like, did I just see what I think I saw on Pittsburgh today live? So that's the only time you sell tickets. So like, you know, is it a classy move on my part? No, but also <laughs> stop booking us on these shows. They're not, they're not the right shows. And, uh, well, how does that, how does that work? Though? I, I mean, know. how do you get booked in there? Is, is your agents book you on the shows or, or how does that, like, no, no, how do you no, get no, booked no. in the morning? No, the, the, the clubs usually pay to get us on these shows or like a morning really? radio type shows. And these shows, some, you know, there's some markets where morning radio still has a big fan base, but it's, it's few and far between. So a lot of the times comics we're night people so we're cranky to get up at 6 30 in the morning after we work that night or travel yeah. the day before and uh you know it's always after we worked so we're like we get like three hours of sleep and they're like why aren't you guys in a better mood to be here and we're like are you fucking crazy uh so but yeah. you know the other side but you know it, the it, other it, side of it you know hosting the msg show you know yeah what it takes to run a show so at the same time you know, you have like an upper hand, I think, on on messing with those people because you know what it takes to run a show. Yeah, and look, I've been messed with. Like, I I had people on that show mess with me, so I get it, and I get why you would do. Like, I remember Action Bronson just like fucking me for an entire interview, and and what can you really do but just kind of let him fuck with you? It, sometimes, you know, like I've been the host to the guests who didn't want to be there. I get it. So, uh, you know, you yeah. just kind of gotta roll with that. It makes me think of uh, of Artie Lang on Joe Buck's show on HBO. That was lasted like two episodes. <laughs> oh yeah, that was a train wreck. But you know, in Artie's defense, Joe is not doing a good job, and I think it is when comedians see a train wreck, we want to control the train wreck, right? You know, and we want to like we don't want to just go down on a sinking ship without getting our fucking our moment. You know, we want we want to try to control it. And Artie, he, he took it far, but Artie also, he like, you booked Artie Lang. Exactly. Like, you you knew what you were just going to let this shit happen? Like, so, yeah, I mean, that was a pretty brutal moment for Joe Buck, I would I say. I mean, but, definitely. Uh, you know. He kept the show going, though, for those next few episodes. That was the main reason why people watched. Right, yeah. Because um, they did, like, I a mean, callback sketch that's and everything. The thing. Yeah, I think, uh, I think a lot of those hosts, really don't know how to adapt and and there's like kind of it's kind of like a vibe on those shows like i've definitely done those shows where they're just like they're fun as hell and they kind of get it and they're in on the joke and they know you don't want to be there and they kind of are fun with you and i've also done it where they're just like so buttoned up and stuffy and humorless and those are the people you kind of can't help fucking with as a comic because those are the people that don't like you anyway. And you're right. like, why am I in a show promoting this for other people who don't like me? <laughs> right. But has have you ever, like, bonded with anybody? Like, has anybody wanted to be your friend, like, right after? Like, one of those hosts, one of those local hosts. You know, has anybody, uh, you know, <clears throat> like, yeah. followed you on yeah, Instagram yeah, sure. after? And like, hey, what's like, going on? I've done, I've done it with, like, where I've sat down. And they're like, I'm a fan. I'm like, oh, okay. You know, I've done it with people that uh, you know, occasionally they're, like, a hipper like morning show so absolutely or, or they're like a 
you know, they're aiming at younger people. They're younger, but yeah, occasionally you get those, like <laughs> you get that, like, you know, yeah. 50, 60 something year old right. with like the hair, with like, with like a toupee in Kentucky. And you're just like, <laughs> why am I here? You know, it's like, <laughs> what the fuck is it? And then, and what, and then like, you know, going back to hosting your own show though, real quick, I mean, you hosted the show on MSG. Did, is that even something that you wanted to do? And like, was it weird? Like, you know, because it's not like you were obviously doing stand-up at all. You know, you were riffing and, you know, being funny and interviewing people. And and I, I, I mean, you know, I know you love sports. So obviously I'm sure there was a great interest in that. But did you want to be a host? Yeah, I mean, MSG, when I did that, they kind of... They, I had a, I, my manager at the time got me a meeting there and I think they, so my manager also repped, uh, JB Smoove who had a show on MSG. Yeah. Uh, called four courses where he would yes. sit down with other people and they just eat food. It was, uh, <laughs> it was a much higher budget show than mine was, but, uh, still low budget. And anyway, uh, they said, we know you're a big Knicks fan. So would you want to do a show with us? And I said, here's how I see it. I see it kind of like the same format as Bill Maher's show where I come out and do like a couple minutes of stand up. Then uh, I do an interview and then we do a panel and they said, we love it and they want to do it. And, uh, and then it just, they like, they're not a comedy network. So they hated every instinct I had as a comedian to make things kind of awkward and silly. And uh, I wanted it to be completely off the wall. And uh, you know, I wanted to kind of make fun of sports shows while also talking sports. I thought it could be a really, uh, fun experience and parts of it were really fun and other parts were just a constant uphill battle you know what was that like though when you when you would walk in onto set to film like were you treated as the host and i mean by that like you know you know it's funny you say that it's funny you say that i mean yes and no uh they could not they could not stop reminding me that I was like a nobody. It was like a constant joke. I remember like my manager was like they were like it's like they want to call it people talking we got we were trying to get a people talking sports with Sam Morrell and they're like, No, no one knows who you are and I was like, All right, thanks. And then uh, I mean they're right, but still. So they're like, It's just people talking sports. So I was like, All right. And then uh and then <laughs> my face it was weird, they put my face on like Penn Station because it's a right. garden, so they own yeah. a lot of real estate. So my face would be on the building. My face was everywhere. My mom was like, this is insane. And right, then, I remember uh, seeing it. And then they, I'd walk in the building and they wouldn't give me like a, an ID card for like, for like a month. So I just, they wouldn't, <laughs> so I, my face would be on the building, but then they like wouldn't let me in the building. I'd just be like waiting in the lobby for like 30 minutes every morning. You had to, you had to take a photo of me outside down. and bring it in and go, hey, that's me outside. This is my ID. But also they didn't, but that wouldn't even work. They were just like, no, we're not. I mean, they're like, that could be yeah. like, we don't give a shit just because your face is there. Doesn't mean you're like have any business in the building. I'm like, whatever. <laughs> so then, uh, it, it was a weird, it was a weird experience. Cause, uh, we'd get these insane guests. Like we'd get yeah. New York sports lessons. We get all these celebrities, but then also like they truly hated every instinct I had as a comedian. Like they kept saying like, we can't, this is punk rock for us. And then they would edit it to the point that like I couldn't watch it sometimes. It would be pretty uh, rough. So uh, yeah, they treated me like a host, but they also, um, you know, right. it's it's a tough thing to run a comedy on a sports network that's a regional network for uh, for the Knicks that where everyone is kind of fearful for their jobs. It, it's not like a it, you know it's run by James Dolan. Yeah, and I, I thought it was a weird identity thing. Like when the show came on, I mean, I was a hundred percent all for it, but. Um, I thought it was an, a strange identity thing because a lot of the networks at that time, and they're still doing it now, but, you know, they're putting, like, you know, you'll watch um, HBO and there'll be, like, a food show on it. And you're like, huh? Like, you know, I'm not that that's a real thing. But, like, it was just weird because I was like, oh, like, MSG's having comedy on it? I'm like, cool. All right. Awesome. Like, I'll check this out. Yeah. I mean, they their whole thing was like, well, you're, like, a real New York guy and a Knicks fan. Right. But that, the problem is, like, you can't do a Knicks show on the Knicks network and it be honest, it's like doing a, a show about North Korea on like Kim Jong-un's network, you know, <laughs> yeah, it doesn't yeah. work. They're not, it is funny. They're though. not, they're not down to yeah. hear the truth. I mean, I remember when they trade, they signed Tim Hardaway jr. To this ludicrous contract. And I immediately in a monologue was like, well, this will end horribly. And they were like, you got to redo the whole monologue. You can't, you can't question the front office moves. And I was like, well, then I just can't talk about the Knicks because they're not making any smart. I can't just like come out and be like, 
things are great. Like you really look like you got like kidnapped by like ISIS and you're like, <laughs> guys, they're treating me really well here. And, uh, <laughs> no, you, you, so we, we would just have to talk about like other teams. That was kind of like, we would just shift away. Unless we had a Knicks legend on and we talk, we'd reminisce about like the good old days, but yeah, we couldn't talk about like the current Knicks almost ever. Were you able to kind of sneak in any jokes that were kind of, um, subtly poking fun at them that maybe on paper. And when you said them, the front office didn't really notice that you were making fun of the Knicks and you're like, yes, I said that went through impossible. I mean, they had, yeah, of course, occasionally, but they had a very, they did not have much of a sense of humor about themselves. I remember I wore a shirt once that a Knicks fan gave to me that it's the Knicks logo, but instead of the Knicks, it says in my lifetime, like, can we win one in my lifetime? <laughs> and they, and it's like, it's made as like a diehard fan. The guy's a diehard fan, but they were like, this is mocking us that we haven't won in forever. So I had to redo the monologue and take that shirt off and put a different shirt on. So it was stuff like wow. that where they were like, you know, they didn't have a sense of humor about themselves at all. And I think they thought the most minor thing could could offend. But did it feel good, though? Like, did it feel good when you'd walk in and you'd go to the makeup room, there'd be snacks for you or fruit or whatever? Like, is that aspect <laughs> of it appealing to you? Like, are you like, wow, like, this is I actually think it's, I fun. think it's I think it's adorable that you think we had the budget for makeup. <laughs> Well, I'm sure there was something. We did not have a we we did not we did not have a makeup person. <laughs> that was all me. Well, then your skin complexion has been is perfect, I must say. Jason wants to know what kind of snacks. Snacks, snacks. I think did we have snacks? I think we'd have donuts and stuff. They bring in donuts some days yeah, that's and good. stuff right. and bagels. That was it, all right. Yeah, but I, I don't each person think. Got a donut yeah, I don't or? think it was. I don't remember the breakdown. But here's the thing: <laughs> we we just uh, yeah, it was a it was a. It was a very rinky-dink, low-budget show, but, I mean... I thought it looked good. Was it cool to have my own show? Yeah, it was fun as hell to have my own show. I miss it. I miss having my own show, and um, the only thing is, like, as a comic, you really train to speak your mind and be exactly who you are, and, of course, it's hard to go from being... um, from being that type of comic that I am to being on a network where not only are you not allowed to, like, you know be edgy at all you can't even really be honest as a as a sports fan so that to me that part was pretty difficult for me uh, and i'd have to like really change it up it's now that you have like you know all those episodes done and that sort of track record behind you couldn't you if you wanted to do a similar show yourself and just you know toss it on youtube or you know even zoom it just in that same sports realm like that like where you're getting those guests because if you had reached out and said hey i had this show on msg and blah 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 you know some of those big name sports people are still going to connect with you especially even now that no sports is really being played you know there's they they're i'm sure definitely willing to talk about whatever you want to talk about yeah, I don't know. I, I think that's, I mean, you have a booker for a reason. I think, I think we got those guests, uh, because it was the garden and people wanted to maintain a good relationship with the garden and, yeah. you know, they get free tickets. So that's, that's how I get fat Joe. It's not, they're not coming for me. <laughs> they're coming for the garden, you know? Funny enough. He's our that's next how guest. I, that's how I get, you know, that's how I get these huge guests. It's yeah. not, it's not me. Is that a dream of yours though, to, to eventually, um, host your own show or, you know, we know you were in Joker is, right. is it a kind of dream of yours to continue acting and being in films? What is still kind of this dream that you're chasing after? I think really just to be a stand up if I can ever do that again. And, uh, yeah, I don't know, man. I, I, I think the goal is to just be a great stand up comic. And, and if that opens up other opportunities, like, yeah, I would, I would happily be in movies and stuff, but, uh, stand up and, and, you know, it's not like I want to be Johnny Depp. I'm aware that I'm not that good an actor. You know, I'm 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 fine to myself. I play myself, but I'd like to be. If I am on screen, I'd love it to be my own words and and written by myself to uh, to mask my limitations. And uh, you know, I, I want to write as well. I like writing. Yeah. So. I mean, you 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 did get to play yourself in Joker, which is really cool. Right. Well, I was technically. Not me. I was I was Sam Morell, but in the 1980s DC universe. So it was like it was kind of me, but not me. But they, I mean, I, I was sitting in the theater and I, I just started laughing when they said your actual name. I was like, that's awesome. That's there was no reason for them. To, there was no reason for them to keep my name. That was hilarious. It, 
that Todd Phillips kept that in. That's like what a cool dude he is for doing that. So yeah, I'm grateful for that. That's yeah. pretty damn cool. How did that even get set up? Did you were, did you know Todd before? Were you guys friends at all or no. Uh, my Is I guess audition? my agent sent them. No, I didn't even audition. My agent just sent a bunch of uh, stand-ups to Todd, and Todd really reacted to uh, to myself and Gary Goldman, who was also in The Joker, and we had the same agent. And uh, and I guess you know they told me Todd Phillips was going to call me, and I was like, okay, whatever. <laughs> and uh, and then I I think I was like I was I got a call. I was like about to do something for like last call with Carson Daly. I was in LA and, uh, and I, I stepped outside and, and he said, uh, he goes, Hey, it's Todd Phillips. And I was like, get the fuck out of here. And he <laughs> said, no, seriously, it's me. And I said, all right. And then I, uh, he, he couldn't have been nicer. He's such a nice guy. And he said, you know, that he responded to my comedy. And I told him that I saw road trip, uh, when I was 13, I, I didn't go to a bar Metro I was supposed to go to cause I want to see road trip. And he was like, all right. And, uh, <laughs> that was kind of that. And he, he couldn't have been nicer and, and, and filming it was, was fun as hell. So he, he was such a cool guy. That's incredible. Did he say like, Hey Sam, I really like these, these four jokes or five jokes that he did. Would you mind like kind of at each take no. trying a different one or is he like, bring what you want? No, he let me do exactly what I wanted. It was really cool. He, uh, you know, he, he, uh, he just said, I like your style of comedy. It's not really like emo. It's just funny. He's like a lot of comics just think they can be emotional on stage with no punchlines. And I kind of just, I'm not into that. I like people that go out there and try to be funny. And, and that's what I think you do. And I, I said, uh, well, I'm, I'm a pussy too, if that helps. And, uh, <laughs> you know, no. And then he, you know, we filmed it and, uh, yeah, he just said, I, it's, I was playing a part of an open micer and I said, well, do you want me to bomb? And he said, uh, no, you don't have to bomb. I said, well, I'm not going to bomb with my jokes, at least on purpose. And he <laughs> said, then do your jokes and, and do whatever you can. And I was like, all right, let's do it. And uh, I did different material every take because I wanted um, oh. I wanted real I wanted real laughs from the extras. So I, I, I spent time in the trailer just writing out different jokes and and you know you have to it's i'm not used to like you know when you get the light as a comic it means wrap up the set and it means you have like a minute or two so they would he would todd would yell out sam get off because joaquin was gonna be walking in the room so i'd have to so then i remember one time i was mid i was mid joke and he goes all right get off and i just finished the joke and he's like sam get off and i was like all right, all right. <laughs> you know, like i'm not I'm not used. I was like, I'm sorry. I'm not used. And he was like, he was so nice. Like, I mean, and you know, the thing is, it's such a dark movie and, right. and the crowd was legit laughing every take. I did like 18 or takes or it felt like 18 wow. takes or something. I kept doing different material and, 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 and it was killing. They were, I think they expected me to suck. So they, and they were generous on top of that. And then, you know, I had like, I talked to a lot of the crew and they were like, you know, it's been such a dark shoot that we kind of needed a laugh today so we appreciate it and that felt great and uh and todd and joaquin were so fucking nice that it, it really went an extra it, it went extra for me it was really damn cool and uh, uh i remember one joke bomb i did a joke that just fucking fell flat and and uh and todd was like that one's a little dirty and i was like all right he's like <laughs> you were still nice he's like just don't do that one again i was like well i'm not gonna repeat any he told me to repeat one i repeated one of my thing was the one they ended up using which was the parking lot uh the parking spot sex joke but, uh, but yeah <laughs> I, I, I tried to do different jokes every take that, yeah. that's amazing that the, the the extras were encouraged to laugh and whatnot and and did joaquin say anything about uh, about your set or did he say like hey did he ask anything about like how he should present himself on stage as a comic did he ask anything like that joaquin yeah, I don't know. Did did he? You know, he's going up there and he you doesn't. Think Joaquin see... Phoenix is picking my brain on acting tricks. Why not? Yeah. Why not? You're yeah, a stand-up I mean, you're comedian. The movie's Joaquin, about a comedian. Joaquin, yeah, but but his but he knows what the the Joker's not a comic. He's not like he's not the Joker's. The point of the Joker is not like how do I pull off a killer set. The Joker's like fucking how do, Joker like it's uncomfortable to watch. His oh yeah, in the movie. yeah, I think yeah, for sure. That's the whole point. The Joker's not working out his his five for Carson, you know. <laughs> he uh, the Joker's going up there and making everybody cringe. So I mean, watching him cringe, it took me back to the open mics for sure. It took me back to like, oh goddamn, I remember dudes like that who were just bad shit. You know, it's an open mic; anyone can go up. 
And uh, I thought he nailed that. He made. He, I mean, people in the room were like, "Oof, that was fucking uncomfortable." Did it? Did it bring you back to any moment when you first started stand up, where you, you know, you yeah. try a few jokes and you go, "Shit, not one person is even smiling." Yeah, of course. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, yeah, they, open mics are not. If you don't go there to like feel good, you do it because like you have. You know, you have to do it because yeah. that's the only way to move forward. But uh, no, open mics. I hated them so much. I really like, I never, I so rarely felt like I got a W at those open mics. It, it was, they were never fun. Oh, me, I mean, ever. everyone there is a comic pretty much. And no one's listening right. to you. They're looking at their notes and they're, and, and you're, you're basically talking to nobody. Sometimes you start to do enough mics so that you see the same faces and they, you kind of develop a familiarity and, and they kind of root for you. So, and you root for them. And, and yeah. And, and sometimes but like, it, for me, it wasn't even the bombing that bothered me at the open mics. It was watching that much bad comedy. That yeah. really is what got me. It made me just fucking cringe. I was okay with bombing myself. I mean, I didn't like it. I didn't look forward to it, but I was okay with that. When you were doing that early on, you know, and, and you know, going to these open mics, were there people that would come up before or after you that you were like, wow, that person, that person's got it? Yeah, and a lot of them are still doing it. And then some of them were just what I, what I refer to as open mic killers, and that's all they could do is kill for comics. They never developed that skill to kill for regular people. They could only they could only rip for tormented souls in that room. And uh, some of them, like, you know what I mean? Like, comics will laugh at really fucked up shit. Yeah. So, so someone will go up there and say stuff where you'd be like, God, that's so funny. I don't think anyone... <laughs> <laughs> anyone else will find this funny but we yeah I, I mean there were definitely people that would just murder at mics and just could not could not flip the switch to kill in a in a club but were you ever fearful that that might be you of course yeah i mean i think that's the problem a lot of people will like try to cancel comedians for jokes or like be offended but like try to remember that like we honed these skills performing in bars and the way to get comics to pay attention a lot of the time at these mics was to shock them into listening. And then you, you know what I mean? So I think early on I was, I, I think become less dark over time in my comedy, because I think I would want to go darker to get the attention of people because not only was I doing open mics, but I was barking on the street, handing out flyers to get stage time. So I think, um, those people were also not the best audiences. So, yeah, I think I had to learn. Um, I was definitely uh, darker when I started, and, and I've, I think I've lightened up a little bit because the crowds are just easier and I'm having more fun now. Has any, Did anybody help you early on? Like, you know, was there somebody who really sort of, I hate the cliche of took you into your wing, but, I mean, like, was there somebody who, like, you know, yeah. I don't know, really motivated you? And I'm not saying, like, hey, uh, you know, I love Steve Martin and I love Bill Cosby. I'm saying, like, was there a specific actual person who was like, hey, you know, uh, let me show you how to do this or, or yeah, whatever? Yeah, Bill Cosby was, was really good to me. Bill Cosby. <laughs> really? One of wow. Uh, and, you, and you remember no, all of it? No, no. <laughs> you remember all of it? No, I don't. I remember nothing because he was... I, I remember him smiling and handing me an espresso, and that's it. Oh, no, I, uh, well, I'm glad you're here, so you made it. Any, yeah, early on, I would say uh, it took a while. I think, you know, at first, comments you respect here, and they'll be like, oh, I like your stuff, and, and that means the world to you, and that keeps you going. But it took a while. I think the first comic who really helped me out in a major way, I would say, was Gary Goldman. Who oh, okay. uh, recommended me as a comedy seller, and that was—I mean, that for me was life changing. So that was that was one, and then you know later on, you know Amy Schumer and uh, and David Tell for sure. I mean, Amy produced my my Amy from Band the Road, like she did Norman, and she also like Norman produced my my special. So yeah. Amy uh, helped helped me in a major way, and then also uh, Tell from Band the Road. I learned a lot from David Tell and. Uh, he was just real cool to me and real kind to me, and I'm grateful for that, too. All right, thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Joke Artists. We really appreciate it. Be sure to give us a follow on Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you find podcasts, and please give us a rating. Yeah, because if you don't rate us, you'll have to date us. And boy, are we booked with dates, because... Uh, we haven't. No uh, one's. No yeah, one's rating it. No one is rating it. Um, not even sure anybody's watching it. 
Um, well, you can't watch a podcast. Well, oh, audio one. Oh, right. I guess I'm sending yeah. out the wrong message, but that's why. I'm telling people uh, to watch me it. Me too. I've been telling everybody ah, to watch it. Uh, dang. And then it's weird because people have been lying. They said, yeah, I saw it. And then I'm like, what? Now I think about it. They didn't see anything. Oh, wow. Yeah, they're perpetuating that lie. But what you should see is Sam Morell's new special, I Got This, on YouTube. If you go to Comedy Central's stand-up page, uh, you could see Sam Morell's special. That's S-A-M-M-O-R-R-I-L. Beautifully said. And for more information on us, go to Believe.com. That's B-L-E-A-V.com. You gotta believe. And if you don't, you'll have to date us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.